Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series in 1 Corinthians, Christ Culture Church. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Well, good morning. Okay, on that cookie exchange, that was a joke. But if you would like to live out that joke, I'd be okay with that. If you wanted to bring an extra cookie for me, I'd be quality control. What's the use of being the pastor if you can't throw your weight around a little bit? Get a cookie. Anyhow, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been there for the last uh, couple of months. If you've got a Bible, flip open to 1 Corinthians 13 and just sort of stick your thumb in it because we'll be there for in a minute. But I wanted to start out this morning by asking this question, what lasts? Like really, really lasts. Not like a good quality thing But like, what lasts? So one of the things that I've noticed as a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals, and sometimes what impacts me more than the funeral itself is getting together with the family beforehand. And as we get together with the family beforehand, I I try to, to, to mine out what is the theme of this person's life. Sometimes I know the person well enough where I, I, I have a pretty good idea, but sometimes I don't know the person at all. So one of these people was a guy named Bob Dean at my previous church. Now, I came to this church, or I was elevated to lead pastor at this church, and uh, Bob was already a shut-in with memory issues. So I didn't really get to know him all that well, because as you can imagine, when I went to go visit him, he didn't have a lot to say. I'd visit him, I'd pray for him, I'd give him communion, I'd leave. I mean, I would try and talk with him a little bit, but that was it. I was really kind of curious to get to know this guy. So after he passed away, I'm talking with his daughters, who, who came and we were planning the funeral together. I said, just give me a sense of Bob. And I told them, I said, you know, I, I feel bad, but I had not really gotten to know your dad because of his memory issues. And I'd visit him and he, I'd have to remind him who I was every time and he wouldn't have much to say and he was pretty far gone by that time. And so they were telling me stories. We grew up in a pretty basic home. We didn't have a lot of money. But you know, something about my dad Something that lasts about my dad is that we always had the nicest clothes, even though we didn't have a lot of money. And my dad always was fine with like a patch over his jeans or a patch on his, on his jacket. My dad was fine if my mom sewed his shirt back together if it ripped. He never really bought new clothes. And, and I was like, oh, wow. And, but they're like, but we always had the nice, we'd come to church and we were decked out, like the patent leather shoes, the dresses, all that. Our hair was always done. He always made sure there was enough for us. And then one of the daughters said, what really impacted me, and, and over the years, I think about this all the time, is that just our regular family dinner. You know, my dad would cook up these steaks. And what he would do is he would make sure, he's like, we were little, little girls, and we would get the biggest, nicest cut of steak. And my dad would always get like the, the small, disgusting-looking piece of steak. And that was true in his life over and over and over again. It was just a consistent part of his life. So the the question I have is, what really lasts? After you're gone, what's going to last? Because I do these funerals, and, and I'll tell you this, sometimes these funerals that I've done have turned into family counseling sessions where we have to forgive the person that died. That lasts too. What lasts? 
what is really going to last on into, into, into eternity. Sometimes what's left is regret. Sometimes what's left is anger. Sometimes what's left is bitterness. Sometimes it, 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 what's left are all these things. But sometimes what's left is just this pure love. And it's like, oh, this was the motivation for everything. When I'm gone, I want my family to remember me as somebody who loved them well in a selfless way. That's what I want them to remember. And somebody who could ride a bike fast, too. I just <laughs> write that down. No, I'm joking. That doesn't even matter. What are you leaving behind? Last week, we dug through the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We dug through all the spiritual gifts and we talked about how central it is that each one of you come and you're needed and, and we need you here because God gifted you in such a way to raise up another person. That's what God did. He, as you say yes to Jesus, he gives you his own impartation of giftings and he takes those giftings and he uses them to build other people up. And it's how much you're needed here. But now Paul is going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's going to actually give you a different perspective on those gifts. So he ends, if you're in 1 Corinthians 13, just look up to the last verse of chapter 12. He ends with chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, by saying, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you the most excellent way. So he ends with his talking about all these gifts by saying, guess what? There's something even better, and now I'm going to show you what that is. And you got to eagerly desire that. Yes, God has gifted you. Yes, some of you can teach. Some of you have tongues. Some of you have, you know, impartations of hospitality. And some of you have these amazing gifts, prophecy, the like, all these different things. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. There's something even better than all of that. So we get into chapter 12 and this chapter, or chapter 13, and this chapter has been called the greatest, strongest, deepest thing that Paul has ever written. And you've probably heard this said at weddings, but the reality is, while well, it does apply to your marriage, and you should apply this to your marriage, this is done in the context of the church, of us gathering here together. This is done in the context, not only of the church and us gathering here together, but it's done in the context of understanding what gifting, like true gifting really is. So let's dig into it. I'm just going to read the entire chapter, um, and then we're going to start breaking it down. So 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I've got the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Amen, right? Like this, this is why people have called this the greatest thing that Paul has ever written in his entire ministry. Because it is. It's just so good. And like I said, nine out of ten times you hear this at a wedding. And not talked about in the context of the church. But what Paul is doing here in this section today is he's actually talking about us using our giftings. That's what he's talking about. How we relate to one another. No doubt, this is one of the greatest chapters to discuss love in general. The word agape is used ten times in just a small little section. Paul really wants us to know what agape love is, this selfless love that comes from God. He wants us to know that love is selfless towards one another. He wants us to get that. But this is done in the context of church community. So let's break this down. First, many scholars uniformly agree that this is Paul's greatest work, right? But let's look at the first couple words, and this is your fill-in. And this is probably, probably one of the most important things for us to always understand about our relationship with God and Scripture. If I speak, but do not have. If I speak, but do not have. This is how Paul starts out. Isn't it true that we could talk and pray one way, but act a completely different way sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. This isn't just true for us here today in 2023. This was true in Paul's day. The people were speaking of the things of God, speaking of the love of God, and not being patient with one another. People were speaking of how great God is and how much they've been changed, but, but then just destroying each other. The first feeling is, if I speak but do not have. I think these are such important words, what Paul is saying. It's a universal condition that we find ourselves in. The universal condition of hypocrisy, right? Sometimes we know people who are exceptionally gifted yet fail to love their families. We've seen men who are exceptionally gifted, yet they, he neglects his wife. You see women who are exceptionally gifted in the church, but only to turn around and emasculate her husband. I've seen the wreckage from pastors who are insanely gifted and neglect their kids and family and have an affair. I've seen that. If I speak, but do not have. I'd rather see that pastor give a subpar sermon and love his wife well, Right? Because God can do incredible things with subpar and terrible sermons. I should know I've preached many of them. I've seen many people who are insanely gifted in areas where they serve in the church, but they do it as an escape from their family, not as a way to serve the church. As an escape from something. See, our gifting is from God. God's gift builds people up in the church. God builds communities like this one so that we could experience his selfless love. All these things, this whole list that we're going to get to in a minute, love is patient, love is kind, all these different things, God builds a church community so we could actually experience that this side of heaven. I know many of you are thinking like, yes, this is something that we get to experience in heaven. Sure, yes, absolutely, but 
I, I believe God wants you to experience something of heaven and earth right here and right now. And the way that you do that is through church community. God builds this community to last, and, and God builds this community to last in his love. First uh, John 4, 8, and I'm not sure actually if I even put this note on the screen, but it says this, whoever does not love, whoever does not know, huh, let me start this all over again. Okay, First John 4, 8 who says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And what the, the Apostle Paul is saying is like, we need a living relationship with not just the, the God, with love himself in order to love others well. We need that. You have to keep in focus that you're gifting by God. The one we talked about last week is designed to help other people fall deeper in love with Jesus. Your gifting is designed to help other people know the love of God. If your gifting is causing division and strife or arrogance on your part, it's probably, it's either not a gifting or you're using it for yourself. I think what Paul is saying is, look, you could have all the gifts in the world, but if the end result isn't this kind of agape love, then who cares? It doesn't matter. In Corinth, there was these prolific bronze makers who would um, make these uh, clanging symbols, and they would use them in pagan worship. And what Paul is saying, just as he was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you listen to all the podcasts, anyways, quick, quick hint for check out our podcast. We talked about 8 through 10 on the podcast. Anyways, if you, if you see that, you'll see Paul thinks like these, these uh, pagan worship services are just nothing. It's just a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. And this is what he's saying. If you have all the gifting in the world, and you're so gifted, and it doesn't produce love, it doesn't produce more love in the church, then who cares? You're just like a, a pagan worship service. It amounts to nothing. That's what he's saying. You make a lot of noise and there's a lot of show. You bring a lot of attention to yourself, but nothing gets done. I love he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If I speak, but don't have. This is what Paul is saying. It's so true that we could speak, we could talk, we could pray one way, but we could act a completely different way. When Paul wrote this, he was saying, basically, if I sell myself over into slavery and pay for someone else's debt so that they may be released from slavery, then it's just a selfish, empty gesture without love. Let's look at chapters, uh, or verses 4 through 8. This is the list now. Paul now gets into this list. He says, you have to speak and have. And, and tell you what, here's some examples. And this is not an exhaustive list. There's, there's so many other things that love does too, but this is just Paul's beautiful list. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not poor, um, proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. So Paul gets into his description of what love actually is. So I know we didn't cover it here, uh, but again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10, one of the things that we talked about is that in the Christian life, love needs to tower over our freedom. 
And, and I know that we, did, again, I'll just give you the quick Twitter version. Go listen to the podcast if you want to hear all that. But our love needs to tower over freedom. And, and the way that Paul expresses this is in meat sacrifice to idols. I know you're like, what? This seems like so weird. But back in Paul's day, what was happening was this. There's basically two ways that you could get meat. One, you could go to the temple and you could eat the meat. But if you do that, you're pretty much guaranteed to be participating in pagan worship. Or you could go buy it at the marketplace. And... It might have been sacrificed to an idol. You don't know. It's okay. Just go buy it and eat it and don't make a big deal out of it because that's basically the only way to get meat back in the first century, right? It's going to be sacrificed to some sort of idol. But what Paul is saying is don't, don't participate in the re- religious side of that because that's participating in meat sacrificed to an idol and what that's doing is participating in idol worship. And he, he's basically saying is like you have all this freedom But make sure you work love into your freedom. You act out of love. Because if you go to that pagan worship service, then you're going to be destroying all these weak Christians. And what what I want you to do is is don't do that, but just go buy it in the marketplace and eat it there. And if somebody brings up a protest, then don't even eat it because you don't want to lead anybody astray. So what Paul says there is essentially, this is my my, uh, paraphrase, is your love for people needs to tower over your own personal freedoms. And that's hard when you live in a world, and really 21st century America, when personal freedom is like the pinnacle of all things. Your personal freedom is what matters more than anything. But Paul is saying your personal freedom needs to take a backseat to loving others. It needs to tow- love needs to tower over it. So that's the whole point of love towering over freedom. And this is what Paul uh, has talked about before, and now he's bringing it all to a crescendo in chapter 13 to say, this is what it looks like for love to tower over freedom. Love is patient. Love is patient. Patience is long-suffering. You, some of you don't like the word patience because the description means that you have to suffer, Right? Patience is even being, um, it, it's being tempted in trying circumstances. It, it is, it, patience is growing in trying circumstances. That's what it is. Uh, the, some of us are quick to anger, right? Patience even defers your anger. That's what patience does. Patience is being even tempered, even under provocation. That is hard. It is hard. How many of us have a hard time with patience? Okay. Now, all of you put your hands down. How many of you have a problem with lying? No, I'm joking. All right. (laughs) Patience is hard. It is hard. It's difficult to do because it means you've got to sit there and suffer for a little bit and just allow something to pass, whatever it might be. But that's what love is. Love expresses itself in patience. Love is kind. Kindness is becoming a rare commodity these days. It's either becoming a rare commodity or the new religion. I haven't figured it out. It means to be warm-hearted. It means to be considerate. It means to be humane. It means to be gentle. It means to be sympathetic. I think that one of the things I've seen is that people are are following Jesus because someone's kind to them. I've seen people come to know Jesus just because of the kindness of of another Christian, or the kindness of somebody in the church, uh, kindness should be the defining trait of this church, or any church that you ever go to. The fact that we are kind to one another, this is how love 
expresses itself. And I'm going to take these next three all together. It, it does not envy. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. These are three selfish traits, right? And what Paul is doing is saying that, that there, in love, there is not even an ounce of self-interest. That's what envy is. It's being interested in yourself. It's wanting what someone else has. It's talking about how great yourself. That's what boasting is. Proud is just being arrogant about something. It's, it's all self-focused. And it's the most painful and difficult and most rewarding thing in the world when you could get your mind off yourself all the time. It's painful. It's sanctifying what God does to you, what God does through you, to, to help you not think about yourself all the time, but to think about the interests of others. So what love does is it helps you get off your own self-interested ideas and back onto the community of people around you. Love isn't proud. In Hebrew, the concept of pride is often um, expressed metaphorically with words that denote, um, uh, denote height, right? In an unhealthy, elevated view of one's abilities or possessions. You have a tall view of yourself, is what the Hebrews would say. You're prideful. It does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. Love brings honor to others. That's what love does. Even when they're not honoring back. That's hard, right? Because we kind of have um, this quid pro quo relationship around honoring other people. Like, I'll honor you, but they've they got to be the sort of person that's got to honor me back. Or like, I'll honor that person because they've already honored me somehow. But what happens when you show this unfathomable amount of grace to people and you give them honor even when they don't deserve it? Because if you were to get what you deserved, you'd be in trouble, right? But even if they don't deserve it, it kind of causes them to scratch their head a little bit. kind of shows them a picture of what God's love is like. And you think about it, on the other end, dishonoring others is actually the easier route to go. It's actually the lazier way to go. It doesn't take much effort to dishonor others. It doesn't take much intentionality. It's easy. It's what rolls off the tongue pretty often. Honoring others takes the real work. Love always honors. It's not self-seeking. And we just talked about this uh, with love's not proud, uh, pride boastful, all these other things. It's not self-seeking. Love is inherently giving yourself away, doing what's best for others. You could probably love others. You, you probably can't love others, I'm, I should say, with a selfish agenda. You can't love others fully, and you can't love them well. It's not easily angered. In the Old Testament, when the Bible says that God is slow to anger, the phrase in Hebrew is like a picture of a long-nosed person. I've told you this before. It's, it's, the phrase is long of nostril. That's what the phrase is in English, what it means to be slow to anger. The phrase in Hebrew means that it, it's this word picture about the smoke coming out of the nostrils and taking a really long time. And it's like God's got a really long nose because he doesn't fume easily. That's the whole point. That's the whole idea. So God is long of nostril. He doesn't fly off the handle easily, right? Love is slow to anger. Now, I hate, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands on this. How many of you fly off the handle e easily? It's a rhetorical question, right? 
If you fly off the handle easily, one, you probably had a parent teach you that that's the way that you deal with problems. And you probably need God to unteach you of that. And two, the trait of being easily angered is extraordinarily selfish. Because what you're saying is that everything has to go my way right now. That's what you're saying. It keeps no record of wrongs. Obviously, if any of you are easily remembered, I don't remember, easily angered, I don't remember this. That was, yeah, Chris just got that. He's the only one. You know you're almost done with the sermon when you're down to one person getting your jokes. Okay. Keeps no record of wrongs. There's this very human tendency to keep a record of wrongs, right? Just like a bullet. You're like, I'm going to remember that one for later, writing their name on this bullet. And we keep these records, we remember what they do, and, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to use, I can't wait to use this one. And then, you know, somewhere along the line, you've got to remember that Jesus died on the cross for you and expects, expects us to forgive others the way we've been forgiven, and so that we actually have to forget that too. And that's so hard to do, especially when you're in relationship with people. Like in the church, you're like, yeah, I'm going to come to church and see this guy again. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I got to go and see this person. Or when you're in a family, it's easy to keep records of wrongs. You see each other every day. You talk every day. You do dumb stuff every day. It's easy to keep a record of wrongs because you just pile them up. But love does not keep a record of wrongs. So what does that look like? It looks like forgiveness. Can you imagine if Jesus kept a record of wrongs? What a burden that would be. Imagine what a burden it would be for you and the type of person that you would transform into if you kept a record of everybody else's wrongs. You'd be the most self-righteous, indignant person known to man. You would. That, you would transform yourself into that. There's this verse in Isaiah, and I can't remember exactly what it is right now. I've got to look this up. But it talks about God forgiving people, and it's a load off of his shoulders. That's what it's like to not keep a record of wrongs. It's a load off of your shoulders. Oh, I don't have to remember to be angry at this person. Great. I don't have to remember what this person did to me. Great. Awesome. It's a burden off of your back. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, if you're finding yourself receiving joy when something bad happens to someone else, that might not be love. <laughs> If you find yourself laughing at someone else's misfortune and saying, I told you so, that might not be love. I've got a pretty good suspicion it's actually not love. If you're like, ah, oh, they're getting what you, what they deserve. Look, they did this and now it's coming back to them and bam, finally, they're getting what they deserve. That's hilarious. Again, imagine if we got what we deserved. Imagine God said, well, yeah, forgiveness is for everybody else except for you. You're going to get what you deserve. That, that's, just no, that's just not what happened. That's not what happened on the cross. And then it says that love doesn't delight in evil, right? It rejoices in the truth. This is what love does. When someone else comes to faith in Jesus because he is the truth, it rejoices it rejoices when something good happens. It rejoices with other people when rejoicing needs to happen. But we don't delight in the misfortune of anybody else around, of anyone. Because 
that's not what love does. That's not who God is. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I love that. And of course, I went through in a deeper way the things that love aren't, but the things that love are are self-explanatory. Because it's the nature of God. He's always protects us. He all, we could always trust in Him. And we could always have our hope in Him. We could always persevere in Him. And, and, and we'll never fail when we love God. I mean, you might fail in life or something like that, but the end result is not failure. See, the reality of when Paul is reflecting on this, what a picture of true love is, he always goes back to the cross. Jesus said, love is patient with us. Many of you might know this verse for in 1 Peter 3, 9, um, Peter, talks about, uh, Peter talks about this. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Love is kind to us. Think of the thief on the cross. Jesus, in agony, reached out to him and showed kindness. Jesus doesn't envy, boast, or he isn't proud. He doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's out of Philippians 2. Jesus never dishonored others. Jesus, had, um, Jesus may have revealed hard truths to people that needed it, but he never dishonored them. I think back to all the dinner parties he went to, and, and the rich and elite Pharisees joined, and, and he talked about these women who were prostitutes, yet Jesus treated them gently and gave them honor. Jesus was never self-seeking. He ended up on the cross for us. Jesus was not easily angered. He could have thrown fireballs down from the cross. He didn't. He didn't get angry out of his love and concern for the poor. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Literally, that's what his blood on the cross does. It blots out our records of wrongs. You may have some vision of God where that, that he will see some kind of notorious sinner. But really, at the end of the day, when you've said yes to Jesus, he just sees his son on the cross. That's what he sees. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your shame. He doesn't see all that stuff because Jesus has blotted that all out. He sees you perfectly. And then Paul ends with this little segment of Scripture. And, and I know many, many people have told me this seems out of place in 1 Corinthians. He talks all this beautiful list about love, and then there's this weird out-of-place thing. But I'm going to invite you to remember the question, what really lasts? Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. And, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now this might seem strange, this little segment of Scripture. And it feels like Paul shifted gears to like growing up and becoming a man. Like, what does that even mean? But that's not exactly what he's doing. What he's doing is saying that right now on this side of heaven, we only know love in part. We only know a sliver of it. 
That, and we know it through the church expressing their giftedness towards one another and showing each other what God looks like. That's how we know it. But we only know in part. It's like looking at a mirror in the first century, which, by the way, is just like a polished piece of tin or something. It really polished. And you look in that mirror and you're like, uh, the better reflection, by the way, the, the pristine reflections was like looking down in still water. That's how people knew what they looked like back then because the mirrors were just terrible. They were not great yet. And so Paul is saying, like, right now it's like looking in a mirror what God's love is. But one day we'll fully know. One day we'll fully get it when we stand before the Father. When we stand before Jesus on the throne, we'll fully get it when you're in the presence of the triune God. I've got a question. Will you need your gifting there? No. Will you need it? Not even remotely. The, 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 the feeling is my gifting will not be needed in heaven. It won't be. Call me crazy, but I don't think that when I get to the presence of, uh, of Jesus, he's going to say, okay, Dave, give me your best sermon. I just don't think he's going to do that. See, the danger of your gifting is that when you get good at it, it becomes part of your identity. The danger of your gifting is when you get good at it, you get, begin to might take, maybe take a little bit of pride in it. Oh, look what I can do. You begin to, to think like, oh man, my worth and my identity is tied to my giftedness, and, and this is what I could produce in the life of the church, so therefore I'm worthy. But that's just knowing in part. That's a skewed view of it because when you stand before the throne of God one day, when, you're, when your life here is over and you're standing before the throne of, of God and he looks at you covered and in, in your sins are covered in the blood of Christ, he looks at you and says you are worthy just because you're you. You're worthy because I created you. You're worthy because I love you. You're just worthy in that way. It doesn't have anything to do with your gifting. We don't need that here. It'll all fade away. That's what he's saying. Tongues will be ceased and, and stilled. It doesn't mean, like, if you want to enter the debate of cessationism, we could do that. If you don't know what that is, that means that, that, um, that some of these miraculous gifts ceased at the um, apostolic age. I actually don't believe that. I believe that what he's saying here is when you're before the throne of God, you don't need any of those gifts because you're right face-to-face with God. You don't need your gift of teaching. You don't need your gift of hospitality. You'll be standing before the Father. Because right now, we just know in part and we, we see in part. And so we have to share our giftings with each other in, in order to help other people see God and see his love in, in these robust ways. But when, you're, when the end comes and you're standing before the throne of God, it, it's, it's like you get this, the fullness of his love right then and right there. You're worthy because Jesus died for you. You're worthy because he says you're worthy. What we need to hear is to train now for the presence of being in real, everlasting, and true love. Otherwise, how could we stand it? The next feeling is this. God's love through church community is a taste of heaven. It should be. God's love through church community is a taste of heaven. It should be. That's the way it should be. That's the point of the gifts. Chapter 12, all of that leads to chapter 13. 
all of chapter 12 of the, you got some have this gift, some have this gift, some have this gift, but I will now show you the more excellent way, the most excellent way. Strive for this. The outcome of all your giftings needs to be love. Needs to be love with one another. And when you do this, when you show this, you're helping people to understand just a glimpse and a taste of eternity with the Father. What Paul is asking the church at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 is what lasts, what really matters. When Your childhood won't last. It'll go away. So parents, remember that because childhood is important. Give your kids an awesome childhood. Give them great things to build on. Do that because it, it'll go away. And before you know it, people always told me that when I was a new parent. Oh, it's going to go away like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what everybody says. It goes away like that. It does. It does. What really lasts? Childhood doesn't last. My own reflection won't last. What really matters? What really matters is that we love each other with the love of God and that we're loved with the love of God. And that we express everything we do with the love of God. That's what matters. So back to these funerals. I've got a question for you. How's your family going to remember you? What are they going to say when I'm sitting there talking with them? Right? What's going to really last in your life? Is it, there's the two strongest emotions. Is it either going to be love or are they going to be resentful? What are the two things? One of the two things, which one's it going to be? Love or resentment? The point of this message is not as much about your, your gifting, but it's about the gift giver. I think the, Paul wants the church to focus on cultivating love because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. At the end of the day, we, we walk through this great refiner's fire that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You have to be here for the whole series. I'll link back sermon messages, okay? So back in chapter 3, he talks about building a foundation, building this, this stuff. And he said, build using stone, build using gold. Don't build using straw because you're going to go through this fire. What's going to last? What's going to last into eternity? Paul, builds, uh, Paul implores the church to build a foundation that lasts, and we find in chapter 13 that that foundation is built on the love of Jesus. That's what truly lasts. So there's a couple things. I want to invite the band to come forward as we respond to this. Part of this is effort. It really is. I mean, think, let, me, let me explain this. It's effort to ask God, search me out. It takes your time to say to God, God, search me out and, and find anywhere where I'm displeasing to you. It takes effort to do that. It takes a response from you to do that. God, search me out. Where am I unloving? God, search me out. Where do I think I'm being loving, but I'm really being controlling? God, search me out. Where do I think I'm being loving, but really I'm just being envious or deceitful? God, what am I dis misdefining as love? Search me out, God. Part of it is effort, but a whole other chunk of this is just God's grace. You cannot achieve 1 Corinthians 13 on your own. It's not something that you're like, you're like, okay, I've got my checklist and I memorized the verse. Um, yeah, I've been around the church for a while. Um, I'm, I'm patient now. Okay, good. You know, like, oh, I didn't cuss today. I am kind. <laughs> you know, no. This is God's grace. His slow process of sanctification working in you. And you need to surrender to it. 
It's not something that, that you could just try by pure effort. Like I said, part of it is effort. Part of it is taking the time and saying, okay, Jesus, I want you to search me out. But part of it is just allowing God to work his work of grace in you and not being distracted with all the dumb things of the world. We believe in a supernatural God. That is the God who breaks through and supersedes nature, all that's around you. If you've never asked Jesus to be first in your life, then maybe this is the time for that. Because he wants to make a whole new you. The the scriptures call it a new creation, a new creature. He wants to make you new again. I want to invite you to do that today because your love might be nice, but it's not going to cut it for the long haul. You need God's love in you. And I want to invite you to come to the altar and, and to pray, to pour, to ask God to, to pour out his love on you. And I believe he wants to do that. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time and, and you're like, God, help me to love deeper. I want to encourage you to pray, God, give me an experience of your love. Help me to know deeper what your love is. I want to encourage you to pray that. Maybe you're simply here today and you just need the Holy Spirit's help and guidance and helping you to experience God's love. So if you're here today and you want to pray, God, help me grow deeper in your love, then I want to encourage you to come forward. We're just going to have a couple minutes at the end, at the, during the next couple songs here. Time for you to pray. But if you're here and you said yes to Jesus, God, I, I need to live out of your love, not my love. I want to start following you. We actually had these new cards printed up. They just say yes on them. They're yellow. That helps you in the back of your seats. If you want to take the bold step of checking off, I've decided to follow Jesus or I've rededicated my life to Jesus. I'd like to be baptized. One of these things, I want to encourage you to put your name on it and put it in an offering box. Because we found that people are making these decisions, but we're not able to help them become disciples and grow. And that's what we're called to do. And so if, if that's you, we want to encourage you to do that. Put it in the box and we want to help follow up with you and pray with you. We want to give you a call and walk through life with you, get you into a small group or something like that. But as we sing this next song, just those three responses are... Jesus, I, I've been living out of my own love and I, I need to live out of your love. I need to experience you. Or Holy Spirit, help me out. Maybe you're here and you simply need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. That could be done by kind of shedding your own life, saying, God, it's not about me, it's about you now. Help me to live in your love. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for the blood that you shed so that I could be made new again. Let's pray. Father, we need an experience of your love. God, I know right now we know in part We prophesy in part, we teach in part, we only see in part. God, we only have these teeny tiny little glimpses of your love and it's gonna be nothing compared to when we get to heaven with you. When we have life eternal with you, God, the love that we're gonna experience. But God, there's some of us here today who need to say, Lord, help me shed off these uh, this, this whole trait in my life of being easily angered. God, help me to, to get rid of this trait of having no patience. God, help me. Search me. Show me ways that are not 
pleasing to you. God, there's some here that simply need to do that, and I pray that you would do that work with your people right here, right now, in the midst of all of your community worshiping together. And God, show us your love. In the name of Jesus and all God's people say. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of RAC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description. 